Austin, I was taking a look at some of the info that you have up about yourself and I'm going to read a quote to you. I would love to hear you kind of color in the picture for us. You state in 2018, I hit the wall doing 105 miles per hour after I stayed up for seven days straight on crystal meth. I had lost 20 pounds and was a far cry from anything that looks like myself. This all turns into wrecking my car, getting kicked, kicked by my home, and for a time sleeping in a friend's closet underneath the stairs. Fill this in for us. Man, that, guy, <laughs> that guy needs a help. Uh, no. Uh, I've helped a lot of people get sober, and I've helped a lot of people change their life. And I think the number one thing when I hear stuff like that, you know, um, is that a lot of people feel like they don't have the key. And whatever happened in your life or whatever you're dealing with at this moment right now, like the only reason why you got there is because you made choices. Because you made choices, you're the only one that has the key to get you out. I think that's number one, right? N nothing outside of you is going to get you changed. Um, I think that uh, that that guy that you described, uh, the funny thing is the farther distance I've got away from him, the more I love him for, for never giving up. Um, I think a lot of my first three to four years of sobriety was running as fast as I can from that version of myself. And what I realized is that's how you get started in change. But in order to complete the full circle of change, you have to love him for his faults and for his missteps. Um, because really what it was, it was a cry for help, right? It was a cry to be seen. It was a cry to be heard. It was a cry, uh, scared of my own abilities, um, my own, um, things that you can't describe but you know you're just bouncing around from one bad decision to the next uh and the bigger issue is that you're bouncing around in a, in a short span it's not like these you know it's what i tell everybody is if you really want to change your life especially with addiction is that you're trying to to correct the spirals um it's not the one bad decision it's the three bad decisions in the span of three weeks it's the three bad decisions in the span of three days and you start stacking up bad problems and bad situations that you can't feel like you can't get out of. Um, you know, that, that guy um, did some stuff that, that ultimately got him, you know, kicked out of his parents' house, got him cut off, you know, lost a car, you know, uh, had trouble with the law, like all those things. Um, and you, you ask yourself, right? When is enough going to be enough? When is rock bottom going to be rock bottom? Everybody says, what was your rock bottom moment, right? I had like 15 of those. Like, it's not like, it's not like there's one big, this like, ah, holy crap moment. It's, it's, it's a culmination of a lot of bad decisions over a, a long period of time. But what's odd, right? And I think that needs to be highlighted in what's not on the website is I was still going to work every day working 80 hours a week. So my question to you is how many people are disguising bad decisions by using productivity to mask that they don't have a problem? There's lots of, there's lots of uh, avoidance and buffering from uncomfortable things. And the sneakiest ones are what you could justify as productive or healthy or 
beneficial or even in little ways going to do this thing that I know I need to do instead of the one thing that I told myself I would do. Some are more, some are more obvious of like, you know, I, I am, you know, overeating, overindulging in something that I know is bad for me. Like that's clear, you know, but, but the, your mind can get very convincing, very, very convincing with all these other things that could be justified as helpful in some way. When I started coaching, I needed to be the savior. I needed to be the white knight coach who drug people out of the fire and we were going to be successful no matter what. And, and, and that's, that's a way for sure. But when I had a good friend of mine, my mentor, who taught me a story work um, framework, what I use for coaching, what y'all are describing, self-coaching, getting distance from the story, creating space to see the actual facts. He said, you know that you're, you're needing your clients to be successful is a form of victimhood as well. And I, mm. I tell you what, man, that messed me up for like months because I was like, oh, look at me. I'm going to save all these people because I couldn't save myself. And what I do now in the last two to three years, my coaching is I will give you the tools. I'm the buffer, but you're going to coach yourself. Because if I'm changing you, if I'm changing you, then it's going to be quick. It's going to, you're not going to, it's not going to stay. So I have to give you the key. You have to change subconsciously because I don't win if I'm the one changing you. I only win as a coach if you change you. And a lot of clients hire me and they think there's going to be this big sweeping change. And it's like, we, we move like two millimeters a week. And then you go, wait, I heard a quote from Alex Ramosi. It's the craziest thing I ever heard because it makes so much sense. He goes, the farther you get away from changing a customer or a client's success, the less they will give you credit for it. He goes, because they will have changed themselves so much that they believe they could have done mm -hmm. it without you. He goes, so when you ask for a referral, ask for it in the first two to three weeks. Because after six months of coaching with you, they're going to be like, I could have done this myself because they've changed so much. But that's a win. That doesn't mean they're going to give you credit. I don't need credit. But think about that. And so there's like two forms of coaching. It's like, let me get you started down the path. I only do two forms of coaching. now. It's either six months, two to three months. That's it. And the two to three months, I'm going to come in like David Goggins. I have full right to just whip that butt. Like, meaning, no, you're not turning around. We're not giving you any space. It is suffocating spark. That's what I call it. Like, we're going to change. We're going to switch the life. And then the six months is we're going to go in for about eight weeks. We're going to clean up your subconscious. And then we're going to implement the new subconscious. And then in six months, you're, never, it's, you're not going to go back there again. And it, that's just me. That's, that's the only way. And so when I do that, it gives people more freedom to find change within themselves. Because, because one of the greatest things I ever heard in life is you can't see something in somebody else unless you already have it inside of you. So whatever you put these mentors up on a shelf, if you see greatness in them or you see a value or integrity that you like, the only way you could see it is if you have it inside you. So that means nothing is outside of you in order to change. What were those stories that were informing you being that, that, and how old were you when that situation occurred? If you going down the highway? 
I mean, a lot of the craziness, like the drugs, were were early on, eighteen to twenty three ish, twenty four. Um, alcohol is more of a social norm accepted in the world, and I, I sold wine for a living. I made drink menus, so it's just nobody nobody blinked an eye. Um, a lot of those early stories were just, you know, off on my own, dropped out of college three times for different reasons, got jumped, uh, every bone on the right side of my face broken, you know, wrong place, wrong time. All, all these things was a was a good four to five year stretch. And then um, I just was so sick of the drugs and the, and the, and the, and the shit. But then alcohol is just like, like a warm coat. You know, it's just like, it's just so easy. Um, you know, we just had the Super Bowl yesterday. There's a lot of people that feel like shit today. I don't care if you drink. I literally don't care at all. But they're going to use that as an excuse to not feel good to like Wednesday or Thursday. Like they're looking for any excuse to like not be themselves. And and so uh, I had a great mentor. Um, I, I had two business partners that that we failed at least i lost a lot of money and the business is still running but with the one guy and it was not a good partnership but they were sober and it was the first time it gave me coverage to say like hey you know maybe if you thought about it you know what's interesting about behavior (laughs) most people hold their tongue until you do it and then like hey man maybe it was a good idea for you to like tone it down a little bit like, where were you like six months ago? You couldn't, have, I wasn't ready to listen. And so when I started looking at getting sober, I saw an example of two men that were very successful, that were sober, and they were happy. And I know it sounds asinine to say that, but at 36 years old, it was the first display of grown men that were successful that didn't drink. Like, I'm 36 years old. That's crazy to say that. But that's what I grew up with in the restaurant business, dude. It was insane back in the day. It's a little cleaned up now, maybe I don't know, but it was wild, and and that's just what we did. Um, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. One of my employees. Look, I couldn't run away from it. My best friends were the biggest wine brokers and the biggest liquor brokers in the state of Texas. Like, if it was a day off and they're offering you like free booze and you're like romantic about how much you love alcohol like you're gonna go try that free booze and so that 10 o'clock would turn into a two o'clock and you're already like passed out at four o'clock in the afternoon on your day off yeah i get it and it's hard to actually see any beginning momentum or shifts if you don't even see it being possible like if you don't have any vision of that a different story can come into reality, what you have is your definition of your life. And that's, that's your operating framework. And that moment of you actually being able to see these other guys and at least have a little bit of humility to say, okay, maybe something else is possible. And I don't even know what that would look like, but I know there's a different option because I see it depicted in these lives. That's, that's powerful. And whenever you first began to see any shifts happen, as you mentioned, it's not this necessarily moment on the mountaintop where everything changes overnight, for most of us at least. I know it's not the case with me. Uh, 
whenever those shifts started to happen, what were some of those initial dominoes for you that started to fall where you started to incrementally take on this story? And then what were those initial things that you started tackling? In the midst of me deciding to begin to explore getting sober, my, uh, my ex-wife and I were in the midst of, once I started getting sober in the first couple of weeks, we were in the midst of, holy crap, I mean, I was already unhappy, but we were in the midst of the reality of this crappy marriage is showing up, right? And so then I'm telling myself like, hey, you're the guy that got sober and left his wife. Like, what a piece of shit. So like I hung on for like another year and a half and I was like so done for like five years. But for me, it was very simple. I was the king of the, I'm going to start something and never finish it. I was, I was the chapter president. I was, I was, I was the chairman, the president. I had started 2000 things and never finished them. And I made a promise to myself right then and there that whatever I do moving forward, I was, I, once I started, I will finish it. No matter if I put it to bed early, but I will finish it. And I will say that this is no more, but I will have seen the end of it. And so for me, it was really simple. I was listening to a podcast from, um, uh, like it was Brand Turner and then it was another guy, Kyle Cease. And he was talking about like how he tried to be like, a, I go to the gym three days a week and lift weights kind of guy. And he was like, I can't do it. Like mentally, I like, I'll like, oh, I'll skip the day and then I go to the next one. And he goes, but then I just started going to the gym every day. Like I was going to do some sort of workout every day, no matter what happened. And I was like, well, maybe I could try that. Like maybe I could do like every day and just see, like, don't have to get like crazy. So I said, let me go for like seven days every day in 45 minute walk or, you know, cycling or whatever, whatever it was. So I did seven days, I did 14 days, I did 21 days. And then I, I just kind of kept it going. And I always wanted to try 75 hard. And so um, I always do something at the end of the year to get me ready for the next year. Like that's just my mentality. Like I start in October and I go through the end of the year. So we're entering the new year. And so I started 75 hard and I did 150 days in a row and it like changed my life. And, and I'm not giving 75 hard of the credit, but it allowed me something to hang my hat on. So even when I was going through the divorce, even when I was losing my job, even when I started the podcast from scratch, um, my workout routine, my 45 minute walk in the morning was my, my, my flag I held on to no matter what, no matter what was going on, no matter the uncertainty. If I did that in the morning, I at least had that to look forward to and do that. And that's kind of what started to see the change for me. Um, and then the kind of like Mount Everest, if you want to call it, was I think that we don't understand how associated to our subconscious drinking is. Uh, for me, it was two things. Every time I got a deal, or celebrated a deal that we closed, I drank to celebrate. And then the second thing was vacation. Like you, when your boy's on vacation, like I'm a different human, like going to Europe, going to Mexico, going to Cosmo, uh, Costa Rica. And so I went to Costa Rica for 10 days and I didn't drink. And when I got back from that vacation, I literally said, I'm never gonna drink again. Like that, when I crossed that frontier, I was like, oh, I'm good. Like it was just like, the cravings went away, like everything. It was like, you can't do this. You can't go on this trip and not have a good time. I had a blast. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, I don't need it. 
And so once that was done, I, I was done committing. I love this idea. So <laughs> it's funny because the the drinking on vacation from from maybe at your, the beginning of your efforts to 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 start to uh, you know grab the reins so with drinking and from that point to you saying I'm never going to drink again. Those are two different beliefs. You're you're holding two different stories actively that are maybe a, a chasm apart from each other, right? I love this idea of like creating a bridge, a ladder of, of beliefs. And it's like, it sort of softens it. It's like, if you're right now, you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to not drink. If that's, that's a belief you're holding right now, you can start to almost soften both ends of it. Like I, I'm, I'm like the very first one might be, it's interesting. I'm curious, it's, it's curious that I continue, I'm observing that I am thinking this instead of, I am never not going to be able to drink again, or I'm, I'm always going to be a drinker. It's like the, yeah, the ground level thing is like, it's interesting that I keep thinking that like you're almost detaching yourself a little bit from it instead of, it's just hundred percent true. And then you can start to say, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to a day where I may not need to drink all the time. And. I'm open to maybe drinking 50% as much as I do. And I'm open to the idea of maybe never drinking again one day. And these are all like incremental inter intermediate thoughts. And like you probably swooped through over the process of sure. being on vacation and getting the evidence and all these sorts of things. But it's like, you did that. You, you had enough sort of logic and, and, and language come into play that made you take the step to go on vacation and not drink. Like there's, there's, there's thoughts that you had that allowed for that to happen. They're not, they're nowhere near. Maybe you're, I'm never going to drink again. I don't need a thought there, but they're allowing you to take steps in that direction, which then that evidence is, is building your bank of evidence and, and credibility with yourself and all that. Like I now went on a trip. I didn't have to drink. I had a blast. Like that's all evidence. And now I, I, I don't need anyone else to tell me, right. I, I gave my own <laughs> story, uh, the, the bolstering that it needed. I just love the idea of like, again, making things into a process and it's like, okay, I understand that this may be far reaching for you right now, not you, but anyone we might be working with, but let's, you know, uh, intentionally craft what your first belief needs to be right now to get you to take one step. And then plant a flag in the sand after that step is done to say, now I, this original, you know, starting point belief that I knew to be true for my entire life, maybe is no longer 100% true. I used to believe that. And now I'm poking holes in that by way of my own action and evidence that I'm giving myself from the first step. Now I'm probably open to the second and third step. And now I've got momentum all of a sudden. You, you just described a few different scenarios where yeah. you got yourself momentum. And I love to deconstruct that. I think it's super important, right? I have this saying that I say, like, be careful when you take your new routine or your new subconscious on the road. Right. Mm. And I think a lot of people start a new routine or they start a new thought pattern and they immediately go to a, uh, like a reunion with old friends. It's like, whoa, hold on. You're not there yet. Okay. Like, I didn't take this new like framework out. Like I kind of hid for like a couple months. Like, and what's even worse is I didn't talk about this for two years because I didn't go to AA and I was still bartending and making drink menus 
over because we're using smell for six months. People are like, you're stopping drinking and you're still fucking bar bench. Are you out of control? I go, no, I, I, it just, this feels right to me, but I didn't like travel for like six months before I got sober. I didn't like, Hey, let me try to be sober for seven days and then go to like, hang out with my old friends at like the waste management. That's a drunk fest. Like I did like, you have to like make sure that you cultivate your environment because you're not strong enough. I was thinking about this before our call this morning. I think, and, and, and this is hard because I've, I've gained knowledge from therapy, but I've got all my momentum from coaching. Okay. And, and I don't want to get into this therapy versus coaching thing. Okay. Cause it's not, it's not even worth, that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. Right. Cause I've been through like 15 therapists. So that, that's neither here nor there uh, when I was a kid. But one of the biggest issues that I try with my clients is you're not strong enough to address your past currently. Let's callous the mind with new mindset and new subconscious where you're strong enough to then look backwards at yourself and deal with it without having it affect you. Simple as that. Like you're trying to deal with your six-year-old self, but let's get you to two weeks from now, stronger, healthier, clearer in the mind, which I call clearing up the bug shield. And then let's work it. And then about three sessions, Six sessions in, we can start digging backwards once you've strengthened your mind. I think a lot of people try to do too much. Like, I have a really good friend, and he's a big-time investor. And he says, every investment looked upon a proper time horizon is a great investment. So my question to you as somebody who's listening to this podcast who's trying to change their life, if let's say you're 40 years old, you got another 50 to 60 years of your life. Why are you trying to change next week? Are, it, it, this is what you're doing. Are you a person that seeks change? Then you, it doesn't matter how quick it happens. It doesn't matter. You're trying to change six things at the same time in the same week. No wonder you're overwhelmed. Like maybe there's a habit of like where you don't like, uh, I don't know, look people in the eye. Change that one first. Uh, you you you're like 15 pounds overweight, change that one first. Like, don't try to do six changes at the exact same time. Like, there's things that are what I call like pillar changes that are going to affect everything else. Like, if you're a smoker and you're unhealthy, you don't got to worry about quit to smoking. Become a healthy person that works out and the smoking will fall away. Don't focus on the smoking. We are a society and the biggest issue with addiction is that we focus on the vehicle, not the problem. Alcoholism is mm. something that we can put our heads on and we go, oh, that guy's just an alcoholic. But that's not why he's an alcoholic. Let's go back and find out what is the reason, what's the story they told themselves that started this. You know, what's the most ridiculous argument in the entire fucking world? I can't stand this shit. Um, alcoholism runs in our family. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That's, that's no. Behavior runs in your family. Environment runs in your family. But it does. My favorite line of all time, Les Brown. He says, you know what I've never seen? A big bone skeleton. Oh, we're just a big boned <laughs> family. He goes, well, I've never seen a big boned skeleton. So stop lying to yourself and telling you that this even is the way. Even if it were that, true. Even if it were true. These are always the way that it's done. You know what's great about entrepreneurship? This is what I love about entrepreneurship the most because it is a war. Okay. 
it's a war, I'm tired, it's been five years of hell, um, like all those things. It's I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm getting sued, you, you name it, we've been there, okay? Lost money, lost tons of money. But everybody that's been successful has a story of less. Well, why are they so successful? Because they had to come from fucking nothing. And because that is, wouldn't that be the case? Here's the, here's the truth. I've, I've, I've coached so many people, and here's the truth that nobody will tell you. We label failure as the issue in America. I'm so scared of failure to start something. No. You're scared of success. Because if you were happy, healthy, your family was good, you had money, then you wouldn't have anything to complain about. And if you had nothing to complain about, what would you do? That's the rub. The problems are the greatness. And I'm obsessed with this thing right now. Like, what's the difference between good and great? There's a lot of people that are good out there, but do you want to be great? Then you're never going to stop working on yourself. You're never going to start self-coaching. You've read enough business books. Let's start working on the self. And watch your your income, your happiness. You know what's so hard to sell as a coach? Happiness. Isn't that amazing? Hey, man, your wife's going to love you more and you're going to be happy. Nobody's buying that. Do you know the easiest coaches to hire in the entire world? There's three of them. Wholesale coach, flipping coach, and an Airbnb coach. This is the money I pay. This is what I'm supposed to see at the end of it. Hey, Austin, I'm going to hire you because I want to be better with my kids and I want to be happier. That sounds terrible. I can't measure that. And so I stopped selling that. And so I just sell them what they want, which they think I'm David Goggins. And sometimes I am. But nine times out of 10, we get in, we're three months down the road and they're going, we're, we're not doing anything I thought we were doing. Yeah, because you don't know where you're going. Yeah, there's that idea around that you cannot solve the problems that you have at hand with the same thinking that got you there, right? And I have found in my own experience that many times the issue that I felt that was most pressing, that I was trying to hit those things head on and take those things on directly. And like across the board, without exception, the movement in those areas has been the secondary items. The growth of my relationship with my wife and feeling like there's less connection than we want. We're arguing and bickering more than I'd like. Well, trying to just argue less wasn't the path. The path was me looking in the mirror, taking ownership for was I getting up in the morning and getting in the cold tank like I said I would. Because that kind of man had a level of self-respect and a level of groundedness in his emotional state that then whenever he showed up in these uh, points of connection with his wife, the actual landscape is different. And so sometimes we can, it takes some distance from looking directly at the thing that we want to shift and understand that there's a whole ecosystem surrounding uh, what's making up that person. I, you mentioned Hormozy earlier. There's a, a quote that has stuck with me where he says um, that you don't build, um, I just had it up. Effectively, that you don't build the, the person that you want to be through screaming affirmations in the mirror, but by stacking evidence repeatedly 
to where you literally cannot operate from any other vantage point than that person because the stack of evidence that you have. Mm -hmm. um, curious for you, what was some of those areas of evidence that you started to stack in the beginning that began to shift the story for you? So when I started working out and started to stop drinking, I lost a quick, I'd say 30 or 40 pounds, like uh, give or take, I lost some weight. I, I overall lost about 75 pounds when it was all said and done. Um, I lost like 30, 40 pounds. And so like, that's the first time I went anywhere. I went to a cousin's, um, went to a cousin's wedding to this new version of myself. And so I'm around all my family, um, my cousins, my uncles. And do you know how many people said, wow, you lost weight? Zero. And I had a full on mental like connection fit because I'm struggling. I'm feeling good, you know. And I called my coach in Costa Rica and we had like an emergency session. And he was like, yeah, um, they don't give a shit about you because uh, they have their own lives going on. And and that's when I said, okay, okay, hold on. So this, this, this journey is just for me, just for me. And if I allow myself to be happy with myself and find ways to motivate myself through benchmarks, then that will radiate in other parts of my life. And I can't wait around for the accolades from others, no matter who they are. Um, I did not speak to my father basically for 20 plus years. Uh, we spoke, we went seven years without talking. We, I would talk twice a year, maybe, and it was pretty contentious. Um, there's nobody that can get me riled up like him or my ex-wife. Um, and um, I was watching a, a Tony Robbins documentary, like Not Your Guru. And there was a woman in the audience and her dad was a drug addict uh, her whole life. She was like 18. She was very, she'd done great for herself. She was healthy. And he, she said, oh, you know, like screw him. Blah, 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 blah. And Tony looked at her and said, if he was the man that you wanted, you wouldn't be the woman you are. Now. And I just, I was done. I was like, okay. Noted. Got it. Okay. And then in that little span, I found out that this thing that I told myself, my parents divorced, who was, that was my issue that, that I caused my parents divorce. Uh, a couple of months later, my dad told me the real reason they got divorced. So then that shattered 20 years of the story I was telling myself. I mean, just ripped it apart. This is when I was still drinking. And I drank for like two days straight, melenting about like all these lies I told myself for 20 years, these band-aids, BS, and that was all false. And just, I literally had to rebuild my entire existence in my life that I built up. It was so troubling because you just had nothing to hold on to. You felt like a freaking ship with no sails in the middle of a storm. Uh, my ex-wife at the time was like, look, dude, you can sit here and whine and bitch or you can get to work and figure it out. And so I, I just got to work like reshaping what I believed about myself. And so if that's wrong, if this lie I told myself is wrong, then is everything a lie? And then now you're questioning everything. And you're like, okay, so then we start rebuilding your life. Um, and about um, a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe two years ago, I was in uh, San Clemente at 
a friend's house. His name is Angelo Cisco. He runs a men's group, coaches men. Wildcat. Looks like he's like, uh, his dad was in the mafia in Chicago, like big Italian dude, glasses, exactly what you think he is. Looks like Vin Diesel. Um, and we were doing a podcast, a, a two hour podcast. Um, and um, we're, we're sitting on his floor. We're, we're, we're at, towards the end of the podcast. He was like, you know what the biggest crime in America is? And I was like, what's that? He was like, no adults graduate the relationship with their parents. He goes, they're always 15, 16, 12, and 18 still talking to their parents. He goes, if you would just graduate your relationship and realize that you don't need anything from me, then you could start healing. So I'm driving from the, from the podcast studio to our hotel, and I'm thinking about this, and it's just like seared in my mind. I had not spoken to my dad in eight months. I walked into the hotel room and my dad called. No BS. Like this happened. And I talked to him for like 15 minutes and it was free. It was light. There was no anger. There was no resistance. And my fiance goes, who, who was that? And I go, that was my dad. She goes, that was weird. She goes, you weren't even upset at all. And that was the moment. Flash forward six months later, went to, went to lunch with him. First time I saw him in almost five years. Fast forward three months later, him and I, for the first time in 30 years, went to Colorado together and played golf for three days, stayed in the same, same hotel room. I was in Costa Rica. Before all this happened, I was in Costa Rica. I'm walking down the street at 4.30 in the morning with my coach through his neighborhood. And we're talking about moms and dads. And I literally go... Could it be that me and my dad are the exact same person and that's what upsets me about it? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I called him like a couple weeks later. And you ready? You ready for this irony? Life is funny. So for a living, I coach people in small businesses and people and help them become better. My dad's been doing that for 35 years. My stepmom is spiritual, just like my fiance. They're the same person, same background, same childhood. And we realize that we don't want to talk to the stubborn version of ourselves. And now my dad is calling me for advice, just did it two days ago. It's still haunting to this day. I'm like, what do you need? And he's like, I need advice from you. You need advice from me? I said, you sold your business for multi-millions. I need advice from you. And so, when you heal, you can start to get distance from everything. And I did story work. It's my training and coaching, which is a enlisted uh, kind of getting distance from your story, self-coaching. Um, and they, they work a lot with language and words. And he said, um, I did a session with him, hour and a half. He said 13 words. I cried for three days straight. This is not a joke. He said 13 words. This guy's a master. I've never seen anybody coach like he can coach. And we write, you write out sentences and stories you tell yourself. And I said, he left me, right? And I said that. And he changed the words. And he said, no, your dad left himself. Mm-hmm. And I went like this, and it was like a harpoon to the neck. And I just let out this like, <sighs> and then I listened to Adele for like three hours and just fucking murder and cry for like three hours was a wreck for like three days 
and all this like pent up stress and all this like anger and these band-aids of just massive amounts of stories that I told myself, they all just went away. And I was able to see my father for a man who wanted nothing more than to be with his son. And when you realize that, you realize that you make up all these make-believe things. And this, this, this emotional cloud of negativity and made-up stories becomes this impenetrable force. And when you just look at things for what they are and you have respect for them and you give them back love and you give it in return. That's beautiful. So cool. That's a, that's a, that's an awesome story. Um, I, I just one quick thing and then dancing, go ahead. But I, I, it's kind of a, a trippy thing to say that, um, and this is semi-related to, to kind of your story, but it's like things that you seek out and, and, and judge and identify where other people have gaps. They're very probably likely, if not directly in some sort of related way, something that's that, that you're, that you're have judgment and, you know, about yourself, but it's just a lot easier to, uh, avoid that <laughs> going in that closet. Uh, but, but you, you're aware of it. So you see it in the world, just not, you know, it's more painful to look inward and, and address it. Um, so yeah, but when you realize that for yourself, you can also have compassion that other people are very likely doing the same thing and that's having its, its consequences, you know, on you. And it's just, it breeds empathy upon empathy and everybody's just human at the end of it. It always boils down to that in some, some silly way, but, um, yeah, go ahead. Answer. I have had the experience in my own life of having a, a moment of awareness where I realize that the story that I've been operating with will not take me to where I want to go and feel like I'm capable of going. And I've also experienced an extraordinary amount of resistance to releasing of that story. Mm -hmm. I was curious for you, do you have a similar experience in that? Have you had those like those stories that you know are not either not true or sure as hell aren't creating what you want, but yet they're seems next to impossible to actually give them up. I want to watch your face real quick while I tell you my process. And I just, I just give it up to it because I, I literally can't, I can't understand it. Okay. I'm a, I'm a deep thinker. I, I'm wild. I'm quick on my feet. Like I can, I can jive baby. Like I've done 800 podcasts and never written down a single question. I hear something. Let's call it truth, right? My parents, whatever you want to call it. Three months later, it hits me seven o'clock in the morning. I can't describe it. My brain needs multiple iterations to like, to break through. I, it's not in that moment. It's not going to happen in that moment, but I, I take it in and then like, boom, it hits me. Like I do, I swear there's, there's two, I don't know how crazy I want to get on this podcast, but there's some things I can tell you that would blow your mind out of the back of your body. Okay. It's a true story. Like, eh, see, I'm, I'm careful about what I share, because I don't know the audience, but but I'll I'll share what I need. Let's go. Okay. Let's go there. I find out about my parents' divorce. So then you rip apart my entire life identity. Month and a half later, I'm in uh, San Marcos. Um, so look, what, what people don't know about me is this was by my coach who spent 18 years getting people sober. He said, you are like a rhino. He goes, if you just stop drinking, you might die. 
he's like, I'm just letting you know, like you might die. So I rarely share that I did smoke weed a little bit for like 30 days. And then I just stopped everything altogether. But that was just to like, so the neurons could like, you know, whatever. So during this time, I'm in um, a cliff house in San Marcos. So San Marcos and in New Brussels is a big lake called Canyon Lake. And so we're up on top of this ridge. The, the house is like four stories, a huge pool at the bottom. My wife's friend and I, there's only three of us at the house. It's, it's like 8 a.m., 7 a.m. It's so foggy that you can't literally see like a, two feet in front of your face, right? So they're upstairs doing yoga. I've got my headphones in, and I'm on the downstairs patio, and I'm a little stoned, and I'm listening to Kings of Leon, okay? Like as loud as I possibly can. I'm standing on the edge of the patio, and you can't see anything. And I just literally started crying, like, like a cry that nobody's ever seen before. And I literally said to myself, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And I said it so many times that I just broke down. And I cried for like 20, 15 minutes. And it's very hard to describe, but it felt like three versions of myself exited my body. I felt mm. the weight of 25 years of lies and stories just like lift off my shoulders. And I was never, it never affected me again. It was like, done. I had a similar thing with my divorce, um, you know, and it's these moments in these times. They didn't happen in the moment of hearing the information. It happened as my mind and my body processed it, right? And what I feel like I had to do, and this is real talk, I feel like I've killed like 30 to 40 versions of myself. Dude, I am the king chameleon. Dude, I can get along with anybody. My favorite thing to do in the entire world is to talk to a tree because I can talk to anybody. I can be in any room. I can be in the cowboy room. I can be in the Armani suit room. And I realized that all those versions of myself were just fake. And, and here's the problem is a lot of people have an issue with me because I'm so authentically me. It scares, the, it scares them to death because I'm just real and honest and direct. And people don't realize, whoa, whoa, we're not used to this. Because like I'll meet this is a tr this is I swear a true story and I'll bring him on here to prove it. I met a guy off Instagram, DMs. He hired me that day. We coached the next day. We were four minutes in to coaching. Pro I said you can you need to leave your wife. He goes, excuse me. He goes, I have three kids. Who the, who the fuck do you think you are? No, no. And the whole time we're coaching, he's fighting me on it. I can't even get in there. Cause he's like, no, no, no. He's like a, like a lion, you know, nine months later, he texts me. He goes, are you right? We just got divorced. I was like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't tell you how I know that, but I realized that life is done better when you see it, you deal with it, you you know, break through however you can, and then you move on. The problem is, is that 90 times out of 10, we're, we're living other people's dreams. We're living other people's injected values. We're living our dad and mother's brothers. Do you, you want to know how I can spot a kid who's going to be a little wild and a little loose with his money? He has really, really rigid, budgety parents. You know, you know, I mean, it's not rocket science, guys. 
like you're the opposite of what you can't stand, right? And the first thing I ask people is, hey, how were your parents? Describe to me your parents. More importantly, how are your parents' parents, right? And so we, we're walking around and we're just living, you know, Instagram or our moms or our dad's dreams, you know? I mean, the, the real story, my dad is a doctor. He sold his business for multi-millions, a dentist. And my entire life, it was you go to college or you're going to be nothing. And like six years ago, he changed his mind. I go, whoa, whoa, hold on. You said college is a waste of time. We got to talk. I said, because I built my whole <laughs> life on the fact that, that that you said college was a waste of time and I wasn't going to be a doctor. And now you're telling me entrepreneurship's cool. Whoa, whoa, hold on. No, no, no. You're not off the hook this easy. Right? But people change. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, what season are you in in your life? And what are you going to leave behind? And what are you going to take forward? I have a rule. It's very simple. Whatever is going down in 2023, whatever happened last year, 2023 version of yourself can't walk through the door of 2024. 2024 version of yourself can't walk through the door of 2025. Whatever you want, leave it behind. Whatever you're not doing or whatever you're hiding from everybody is controlling you and not allowing you to change. There is a, uh, I heard a quote that states something to the effect of that you're under no obligation to be the same person five minutes from now. And that was, it's one of those quotes that when I first heard it, it rocked me, but I didn't have the framework to utilize it, to actually execute on it to any degree, even though I can sense that there was validity and truth to it. Um, and it speaks to what you were mentioning a minute ago. You alluded to the fact that there is, there's a level of patience in our own personal evolution. I know that it's an ongoing thing with my wife and I, where, uh, she will say something to me, give some observation or awareness over weeks or even months. And then I come back to her <laughs> six months later and be like, oh my God, David told me this thing and it's changed my life. Yeah. You and my fiance need to have, your, your wife and my fiance need to have a support line. Dude, my, we have yes. a friend in town who, who told me something the other day. She goes, I've been telling you that for a year. I go, yeah, but it's just easier right. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it, as we create these stories and the things that support us, even having awareness around that and acceptance that, um, accepted some trust in our own intuition and our guidance that if we are, have a level of fidelity to actually our highest expression, our highest good, and we want to take in points of uh, awareness and even critical truths, but we have patience that those things will not necessarily materialize overnight, but we can develop the internal story that we know that we will continue on a path and we will see it through and have patience for the way that actually develops and not um, get into a pattern of self-critical judgment as I had done previously, where I also, as you mentioned earlier on, you talked about being the king of starting things and not finishing. I had similar stories because I had all these moments of like moments of realization and awareness where 
the story I had was, well, I learned things, but I don't execute. I don't actually bring them into my life. But it was because I had a lack of patience I see now with them versus like needing at it, actually fleshing it out, allowing for there to be space and creating these small iterative um, pattern uh, creating related actions that actually move the needle incrementally towards that uh, towards that overall kind of larger destination goal. And that ability to develop that patience with our own process is critical. And it sounds like, remember you mentioning as well, the way that you've approached it with clients and how they think they're starting here, but after all of these incremental, uh, movements over months and even years, all of a sudden they, all of a sudden overnight success, realize a different story starting to take shape. Yeah. I want to read you something I wrote the other day. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to read it as clearly and slowly as I can. So everybody can hear the invisible ceiling of pressure and stress and personal expectations pushes up against happiness, joy, and freedom. It bear hugs us like a coat that strangles the oxygen out of our lungs. We scream inside at the top of our lungs, asking for it to stop only to be screaming into a void of your own prison. Then you look around for somebody to blame and the person is staring right back at you. The entire existence, the entire process exists because we are living out on a ledge saying there is no choice. We subconsciously in a loop of despair around doing. And then we wake up 20 years later, still the same person, still in the same loop, without knowing the loop that we started was with one small thought. The loop was started from one failed relationship. The loop was started the true core foundation of not loving ourselves. If we just loved ourselves in that one moment of not turning back, the loop would have never started in the first place. Mm. Healing does not exist outside of you. Okay? Look, there is a real conversation, and I say this on every podcast I go on. Do you know my fiance's biggest crime against me? She loves me too much. How dare I? How dare I? But I have never had a woman in my life love me. My ex, my, my, my mom is a hardcore into crazy childhood. My ex-wife is similar to my, and I met my fiance and she's open and she's real and she doesn't let you off the hook and she challenges you to be better every day. Like that's hard. Because here I am, and I've done all this healing, all this healing, and I, I'm, well, I haven't done enough for you. I haven't changed enough for you. No, not enough for me. Because it's never going to be enough because we're growing together. Oh, God, that's exhausting. You know what I tell her? She's 24-7 personal development, spiritual stuff. I go, dude, you got to chill. You got to chill. Like, give me five seconds. Like, I spent my whole life coaching people, <laughs> podcasts, running the companies. Like, like, but she just loves to be better. She had a crazy childhood. And what I found is that if we can get as far down to who we are and what we care about, you know what I decided this morning? It's the craziest thing in the world. I, I still haven't fully formed the idea, and I'm kind of like making it a thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. I don't need anything to happen for the next two years. That's what I decided this morning. I don't need any big wins. I don't need a big windfall of cash. I don't 
don't need a company to make this amount of money. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Because that would mean that I need something to be happy. I'm just going to build, show up every damn day, and give it my all, and see what happens. On Friday, I just passed 600 podcast episodes. I had another one. Another one got started last week. You know what I told myself? What would it look like when I do 10,000 podcasts? What would it look like? What, what would happen in my life if that were the plan? Okay. Oh, I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I heard something from my coach the other day. And this is, she's, she'll hurt you. Because she's real. She, she knows stuff that other people don't know. She goes, if you put a goal on how much money you want to make this year, you're limiting yourself. Yeah, that goal might be high, but you're still putting a cap on yourself. She goes, but if you said you were open to the supply of money and wealth and abundance that was destined for me in this lifetime, we have no idea what might happen. And so this is the hardest thing that I'm struggling against because we are a society of markers and frame points, and we need something to hang on to. We've created this productive society where we ripped out all joy in life. Every 25-year-old has to be a millionaire now. Nobody's allowed to make 70 grand a year, right? And so have we over have we over like systematized our life where there's no wonder, there's no joy? So I'm trying this thing where it's like, I don't care how many downloads I get. I'm available for clients if they need me. If projects come in for the company, it's great. We're going to execute on them because that's what we do. And I'm just going to see where the world takes me. It's very hard. Very hard. But I feel like I'm going to find more joy. That's been my biggest thing. I don't, I'll be frank. The last 12 months have been a nightmare. And when it's time to share all the fraud and the FBI and the, being sued and all the things that have come up. And what I realize is I let them steal my joy. And I'm not going to do that anymore because that's what they want. And so I'm just going to keep doing me, listening to my music, executing and caring about the people that care about me. And when you do that, you don't give the enemy any firepower. When you give them your time and your attention, that's the biggest issue in everything that we do. It's easy to quantify the bank account. But have you quantified the mind account? Have you quantified how much time you're spending thinking about the thing? That's not the problem. The thing's not the thing. The thinking about the thing is the problem. My favorite thing that I say is Brene Brown did a study. She's a scientist. She's amazing. And she did a study and she said the awkward moment. You know the awkward moment when you feel this new thing and you're like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I'm going to suffocate. You know, they like. Uh, surveyed everybody and they were like oh it's like three minutes five minutes six minutes a minute two minutes eight seconds eight seconds yeah. you can say yes in that eight seconds and your whole life can change i can click record on a podcast with a shaded head during covid and do 600 episodes and meet billionaires and baseball players and meet david and all, all these things because I pushed record and didn't care about what happened or what it looked like. And here we are 600 episodes later and people pay me to talk. What a world we live in.
this is the most asinine thing in the world. You pay me to speak into a microphone to friends. Like, like what, what is this thing? And how many things have we put in, have we not done because we're scared about that little eight seconds? You know what's interesting about markers? And if that's on one end of the spectrum and um, just showing up for the process, finding joy in, in the process, um, I, I'm relating to them this way just for illustration. Maybe it, maybe it's helpful or not, but on one end, it's like, I want to set markers. It's, it's a sneaky way of manipulating circumstances so that you can feel better. I hit that marker. Now I get to say these words about myself and feel better. I, I, I now am the type of person that does this because I was able to hit this milestone. David, it's just can I do something super interesting. Quick? We yeah. and I have a unique relationship. I want to do something real quick because I've been, and we're now 58 minutes in. I've been digesting it. Like, and I don't know how much you know. Like, I, I coached David. We, I met him a while back. We haven't talked in a while. David, you're so comfortable in who you are mm -hmm. right now. Like, you're strong. Mm -hmm. You're you, you're mm -hmm. like a palm tree in a in a storm. Like, your mind was all over the place. And I can tell you're clear on what you're doing. You're excited about what you're doing and you know where you're going. And it's so great to see that in another human to watch the growth and the change. And I'm just so proud of who you've become and such a steward for your family. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. I, I feel, I feel in a really great spot for, for many, many reasons, but this stuff Man, there's, there's something about having your own sort of insight and, and light bulb moment, and then having the opportunity to then share that with other people, just in hopes, just in the hopes, and that's it. And, and gravy on top, if it actually impacts them and helps them. But um, yeah, where, where this could go is just, I, I, there's, it's, it's the juice like, like no other, I think. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And I think it jives with like how my, just my brain works. I figure stuff out and make it make sense, hopefully in a way that makes sense to others too. So a few, a few stars aligning, I think for sure. Awesome. But yeah, no, I, I, I just, that, that sneaky thing, it's like set North star, set measure, measure effectiveness of your strategies, right? But be careful of what you're making it mean and be careful of how much weight you're putting into that. It's like, you can feel discipline and, and and joy and awe and gratitude and agency and all these things in, in a moment it all along the way on you know in the thick of in the mud you don't need to get to this arbitrary milestone so that then you can say something so that then you can feel a different way and whether you're acknowledging that it's your words that are making you feel something that's a whole other story but you get to hit a hit a goal hit a milestone and then you feel better um so it's just it's it's interesting but but i love your idea of like why not? Why, why withhold that just, just fullness of life and all the emotions that you're describing that come with that? Why withhold that up until you reach some, you know, line in the sand? I think so, you're, you're more energetic to show up, right? About a year ago, before I moved up to Pennsylvania to buy this business, I was walking down the street in Wimberley, Texas, and an idea hit me and I said, okay, I'm going to adopt this idea for the rest of my life. Like this is, this is what I've been searching for, for like years. This is the idea. I love it. I'm going to stick to it. Like, this is what I can hang my hat on for the rest of my life. 
I said, I'm only going to run races that I can't win because then the process never stops. If the process never stops, then I'm always getting better. If I'm always getting better, then I'm always impacting. If I'm always impacting, then I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. The problem isn't that your mountain that you're walking up is not there. The problem is that your mountain's not big enough. The problem that your idea isn't big enough. You know, that's the, that's the game. Like, I'm obsessed, uh, and she got me addicted to it, these hiking, um, like, rock climbing, like, shows. Like, Alex Honnold and, like, uh, on this Arctic one that he just did. Like, these, these people are out of their fucking minds. Like, these, I, I just, I'm sweating on the couch watching them. Like, but they're just so happy with the, and, and if anybody held them back from doing that, in my opinion, it's the cleanest definition just pure joy, knowing the risk, but still doing it anyway. And they have partners that know if they don't do that thing, they're not going to be a great person to be around. I find it just, I just think the human psychology level there is just fantastic. What do you see that shift being from being a person who needs the thing that, where there's an end point, where they can anchor their own, subconscious around it and to becoming a person who's able to actually find freedom and agency and empowerment within the actual process versus being destination focused. It's super easy. If you have a target that you're trying to hit, it's only because you want to show other people you have a target. If you don't have a target and you don't need to display it for anybody, then it's truly for you. This whole year, mm. last year for me is about boundaries. Do you know how hard it is? for somebody to text you and not respond for a day. Dude, I'm the king of response. And I'm not saying I do this to people on purpose, but if I don't want to engage in what you're bringing to me, I'm not going to do it. Anymore. And I don't need the business to succeed, be successful because I need my employees to feed their families. It's just, it's, it's a removing of self and ego. And that's what it is, man. Dude, do you know how hard it is? I have 40 three employees here. Do you know how hard it is that my entire success boils down to nothing to do with me? It is a weird, weird world. Don't get me wrong. They call me in when they need to negotiate the big stuff. But like, that's like an hour out of my month. And like, I have eight teams out there every day putting things in people's houses. Dude, you want to talk about the surrender experiment? Good luck. You, you, you want to know personal development, go buy an existing business. Good luck. Like that is the true definition of personal development. Whew. It's it's a hard pill to swallow because everything that you do matters to them. Everything that you say matters to them. And if you take your terrible energy and you bring it into the business, the whole business is going to fill. It really is a top-down thing. Whatever the leader thinks, the owner, the, their, their moods, their values, their, how they operate. Like, I just gave over CEO role, which was always a plan two weeks ago. Do you know how much they need me right now? None. You know how much they ask me to leave the office? A lot. It's not that I don't care about them. It's that they want to step up for themselves. That means we've created a great culture. And the only way to continue to buy more companies and can expand is for them to believe in themselves. It's this weird paradigm where you have to you have to go over to this place. 
And you, you know, you hear about all the time. We got a company that lives right next to us. The ones next to us. The company has four X over the last four years. The owner hasn't been to the office in six years. You hear about this all the time and you're like, that is so weird. He's down in Florida. I'm like, I don't understand. They don't want him. Like there's nothing they don't want him. It's that he's good. The manager runs it. They like what they're doing. Boom, boom, boom. Let go. But like he's older, so he's probably more used to it. But somebody who's still got fight in them, it's really hard to realize that, you know, you have to keep your ego and your, it's, this is not make-believe. Whatever you need to keep you excited needs to be separate. That's super interesting. I was, I was just curious. I've heard you talk about, um, mm. you, you talked about, uh, running a race that you can't win in that vein. Um, I've heard it described as, you know, just impossible goals, you know, a North star. Um, I've heard you talk about a 50 year vision, these sorts of things. I'm curious. Um, and it might, it might have to come down, maybe not, um, in terms of specificity in order to answer this question, but at some point, you know, in the future, call it 10 years, if your version of that doesn't play out that you, you know, had a hand in, or let's just, let's just keep it internal to you. Mm -hmm. What are some reasons that that may have not materialized, um, and describe, you know, whatever milestone or however you want, but if it were not to play out Mm -hmm. uh, in some way that you would hoped, what would those reasons be? Um, I didn't control my ego and made it about me. Um, I focused too much on the money. Um, I got unhealthy with my daily actions and my health journey. Um, and I didn't, I was too stubborn to um, realize that at the end of the day, um, I'm important, but I'm not everything. I think, I think those are the kind of revolving thoughts that go on in my head. Um, I have a tendency to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. Um, and I think that I can do anything. Um, but when you get to a company, 40 plus, 30 plus employees, you realize that, you know, everything is a five alarm fire when you first get started and you realize that you can't really live your life that way because it's going to be exhausting and you kind of just have to like deal with it and understand that these are the things that are going to happen. And so, um, I have a really good CEO, CEO who can question me and call me on my thing. And I think having people like that in your life creates the net where you don't go off the rails too much, I think is, is super important. People that love you enough to, to tell you how it really is. I think a lot of people have the same people around them because it's an easy conversation um, because they're not going to question what they're doing and vice versa. Right. If, 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 if your homeboy is got a 12 pack and he's eating kale smoothies and, and you're slamming 12 packs, that's, that's, a you know, so I think just providing an environment where you can get around people that are going to, you know, not let you off, um, the easy road, I think is super important. Yeah. Um, also, as you share that and you mentioned earlier, how, Often it's not fear of failure, but fear of success. What, what scares you currently? Payroll. Uh, <laughs> nine <laughs> times out of 10, 
you know, do we have enough projects um, to, to keep going, which, which we do, but it, it never leaves you as a business owner, right? And I think, I think there's a good part of fear that allows you to kind of keep, keep moving like, you know, like a shark here, like constantly moving. But for me, um, I have uh, this really weird thing where I really don't like being told what to do. It's like, like ingrained in me. So anytime where I would put myself in a default position where I would have to do the trappings of others and not, and not be the highest version of myself, scares me to death um like it's like a like a real fear um, i'm trying to lean more into like things that i'm really good at and only do those things so as long as i'm not like perfect example i've been looking for an assistant for like four years i've had like three try and they all just like leave and like at, at this day it's like have they been have they not been the right person is it me do i not have enough going on do i not have my systems in place you know those are the things that that like there's going to come a time, and I think it's probably a year from now, where it's not going to be an option. So just like finding, but but what I what I found is is that is that if you let it all come, right? I mean, like all come at once, like you open, for lack of a better word, you open the fire hose all the way. Anybody would be overwhelmed. So what I try to do is I I try not to get oh our YouTube's not doing good. We need to attack that yeah. or more. It's a vault for information. And when we have the resources, we'll do it. I think that's, that's the biggest thing that scares me. Cause I, I want to do it all. You know, I want to, I, I want to, I want to have nine podcasts. I want to coach a million people. I want to run the businesses, but I, but I have to make sure that I um, protect my emotions and my energy is probably the thing that scares me the most because I, I feel like I'm like half throttled right now. And I'm waiting to like be able to open it up full full board. What what is that waiting about? What are you waiting for? Um, I think there's a time to be uber aggressive, especially when it comes to business. And I think there's a time to uh, get your ducks in the row. And we've done so much change in the business um, that the business needs a quiet time. And one of my favorite quotes is that um, the driver of the vehicle does not change, but the vehicle changes. So you gotta know when to show up as uh, a Corvette and you gotta know when to show up as a Humvee. And right now we need a minivan and we need to execute. The, 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 a great business is boring as watching paint dry. Cause that means that you're executing on all the things that you should be doing over and over again. When it's chaos, when it's crazy, that's when you have an issue. Yeah, that, that intuition to be able to discern that is powerful. And I know within the entrepreneurial path, it can be so tempting to feel like you're, you're judging the success by that amount of chaos because it can feel like that's how they spent their childhood. Right. So it's very comforting. Right. That's why a lot of people that had bad childhoods get into, get into entrepreneurship. It's interesting. This conversations uh, talked a lot about kind of insights and, and shifts. And I'm curious if out of those things, looking back in, in the rear view, um, at times when, when I've had kind of light bulb moments, I look back, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's so simple. 
and it's almost just kind of like a, a, like a beautiful moment because it's like now that's power like realizing it's simple and like in, almost like a uh a lever or a mechanistic kind of way like oh i can now just use that framework or whatever that whatever whatever i looking back see how that played out i now get to put that in the tool belt and use going forward um i'm curious if you could describe any of these sort of shifts that you've uh, of the handful you've shared with us today if looking back you're like man that maybe right before that happened this seemed like a complex scary difficult thing i don't even know what to think about it how to get past it and in the review it's like just a beauty in its simplicity and then yeah. you get to use that going it's, forward it's, can you describe any of those in that way it's my number one it's my number one tool and, and I'm, I'm going to describe it first so you can get context to how. Okay. So let's say um, you lose a big client, right? That's, that's one that would invoke something in, in you. Or you're overweight or you're drinking too much or you're, you're, your wife's mad at you or you're having issues with a business partner or a client's and customer's pissed off. Like all these things, all these things. And when you get through the other side of it, Nothing is as bad as it seems, and nothing is as good as it seems. It's always right there in the middle. But we create. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things I've ever heard was Tom Hanks was talking to a bunch of actors. And he said, I wish somebody would have told me earlier, everything's going bad for you. Everything is not going your way. This too shall pass. He goes, Everything's going great for you. Everybody loves you. Nothing can go wrong. This too shall pass. He goes, it's right there in the middle. Only our emotions create the extremes. But life is more like this. Yeah. Yeah. Un unchecked, right? We're, we're emphasizing everything, uh, all, all the costs of, of doing anything, and for sure diminishing all the benefit. Perfect example. Yeah, at, at the end goal. Yeah. Two years ago, it was let's expand this baby and run down to the end. I mean, it was every edge. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I mean, it was full board, max of 10, you know, revving the engine 24 7. That's what it was. It was literally the theme of the year was chase the edges, like, like take it all. And then last year was expansion. And this year's like, Okay, just chill out for a little bit, see what happens. Like you've created some stuff, so now we're in like a maintenance mode. You you have to understand that there's you can't go you can't go twenty four seven. Because I went twenty four seven for forty years of my life. You can't. It doesn't work that way. So so just mm -hmm. understanding what season you're in and, and kind of adapting, super important. Appreciate your time and you diving into your story, man. Um there's so much gold there and truly hope that it, you know, each of those listening is able to take at least one or two things from this, um, and understand that this is quite a process, uh, to actually integrating all of these, yeah, these nuggets that you've dropped. And so, uh, yeah, each of you be encouraged uh, and pick one or two things that you can run with, um, on that Austin, what is, uh, something you'd like to leave, uh, listeners with. Uh, that could be a point of encouragement in, in their own journey. So it's called the self-coaching podcast, okay? And there's a key word in that whole thing. It's called self. 
you are the keeper of the king to your kingdom. Inside, spiritually, mentally, physically. If you choose to use excuses for anything outside of you, you will stay right where you are. Beautiful. Love that. Love that. Thank you, Austin, again. This is great. Great to reconnect and uh, get the update generally. But um, yeah, no, I, I, you did not disappoint. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Austin. Have a beautiful day.